0: Soccer Talk Podcast. We're back, uh, the only podcast on the planet that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. It's soccer, and this time of the year, it's the World Cup. In episode 77, we feature a discussion about the opening two days of World Cup coverage on US television, news about NBCSN broadcasting a World Cup game, our thoughts on the United bid winning the, the rights to host the 2026 World Cup, and much more. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, we we're, were recording this, uh, listeners, uh, on the Friday morning, so we've, we've got one game in, 63 to go. Uh, how are you feeling so far, Kartik, in terms of energy levels, and, and are you going to make, be able to make it?
1: Uh, as of now, no. I'm, I'm just, I'm yesterday I was thinking, oh my gosh, we've got a month of this. Uh, because already feeling kind of worn down But um, you know, once you get into the tournament you, you, you start working And I think Chris, you and I have experienced this in previous World Cups Just start working and running on adrenaline ourselves And it becomes very natural uh, Granted, this, this, this uh, World Cup is a little earlier Some of the start times than the last few But you get, um, you get into a routine Where you start waking up earlier You're starting to program yourself You wind down at an earlier time So uh, I think it'll be okay
0: yeah, for me, for me, it's. Uh, I mean, I was kind of asking it kind of tongue in cheek, but also seriously because uh, I got a cup of hot tea with with me right here. Uh, usually, for me, most of the work for the World Cup is is the build up to it. Like, for example, on worldsoccertalk.com com, we've got sixty four articles that go into minute detail about streaming, about TV, about replays, about previews. So it's. I mean we always say it's a it's it's a it's a marathon and not a sprint, and we mean it too because even for listeners too just watching games like on average there's about what three games a day. Uh, this weekend on Saturday there's four. It starts at six o'clock in the morning Eastern time. Uh, a lot of the listeners, myself included, are probably used to getting up early to watch soccer, so um, it, it's it's nothing to complain about, but definitely something to consider in terms of just uh, making sure that uh, you get plenty of sleep. Uh, and, and, uh, and stay healthy because it's a, it's a whole month where you could easily, uh, get sick from, uh, from watching so much soccer. All right, Karthik. So, uh, let's jump into what we've been watching. Um, let's, okay, let, let, let's start off with yours then. So let's start off with, and let's go backwards. So, um... We'll get into the 2026 vote in a little bit. We'll get into last week's games a little bit. But let's jump in right into the World Cup. And uh, what have you experienced so far? And what channels have you been watching um, up up to now?
1: Yeah, ESPN FC uh, has done a whole really good week of shows. They've got um, Gav Marcotti in Russia. They've got Seb Salas, Gomez in Russia. Uh, They have Dan Thomas in Bristol along with Craig Lee. And uh, Stuart Robson, which is great to have him uh, in Bristol, uh, and uh, Alejandro Moreno, Steve Nicholl, and they just they've, they've covered the tournament um, from all ends. Uh, they've uh, uh, really been able to kind of put the transfer stories aside for this week and, and focus on the tournament. Although so much of the tournament, uh, when you look at a broader um, football perspective, with people who are working and living and breathing. Uh, European football, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Uh, ultimately, when you talk about significant play in this tournament, transfer stories become uh, become part of it. Like Antoine Griezmann uh, opting to stay with Athletic Madrid, Atletico Madrid, those sorts of things. Uh, whereas, I, I think when you get a lot of the the um, the part timers or casual or people who cover U.S. soccer for a living and are just thrown into the World Cup, they're not as in tune to those transfer stories. So um, a little bit of that, but ESPN FC has been very good, uh, really on point, great analysis, uh, what you would expect. And we really miss them, at least from my perspective. I miss them hosting uh, the tournament in English. I've watched um, Telemundo's build-up, their pregame uh, yesterday, uh, pregame today to the Uruguay, Egypt game. Uh, yesterday's uh, call was uh, Andres Cantor and Manuel Sol. They were excellent. Uh, They let the match breathe, but they still are pretty descriptive. Um, You can feel the passion coming from the booth from both of them. And uh, I think my Spanish will probably be much better at the end of the month because I've kind of committed um, mentally to to watching this tournament on Telemundo. Uh, They have Horacio Elizondo giving rules, interpretations, and it was timely. It wasn't as... um, as, I, I don't know if clunky is the word of, of, of uh, or as awkward as sometimes when Fox makes the transition to Dr. Joe Matchnick. Now, this all having been said, I haven't watched a minute of Fox, so I really can't critique their coverage. I've heard people complain about it. I've had people, listeners to the show, uh, e- uh, email me, direct message me, uh, uh, text message me complaining about their coverage uh, yesterday or on, on Thursday. Uh, I really can't say anything about it because I did not watch it.
0: Yeah, Karatek, that uh, that goal call by Andres Cantor for the first goal for Russia on uh, on Thursday, that was incredible. I I didn't see Telemundo's coverage, but uh, I did see the clip on on uh, on social media. Uh, but just a fantastic goal call, and, and just sums up the energy and and the passion really, uh, and authenticity uh, to use Telemundo's words uh, for for that uh, broadcast. Um, I'll I'll jump in there too, Kartik. So so I ha- I have watched Fox. Um, I've watched uh, no ESPN um, yet. I, I I do plan on doing so. Uh, I watched Univision a little bit. I watched maybe about a few minutes of the halftime show for Russia, Saudi Arabia. Univision is having a commercial-free halftime show, so uh, they they have a set. It's in it's in Moscow. It's got the the backdrop of uh, looks like the Red Square. Uh, they got the panelists and and they have news and they're talking into your halftime what's happening and um, live reports from Moscow. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, I, I, again, I don't speak or understand Spanish, so um, I didn't listen closely in terms of the the analysis. But I thought that was interesting. Um, so Fox, all right. So let me let me uh, m- mention this first of all is that I'm going into this tournament uh, on a clean slate. Um, taking Fox for what it is and uh, giving my honest analysis. So there's going to be some things I like. There's going to be some things that I probably don't like. But I'm going in there with an open mind. So Telemundo, um, that, that I'll, I'll probably watch in the next couple of days. But with Fox for this russia Saudi Arabia game, um, the set looks fantastic. Um, it's look, the, the actual analysts that they have, it seems to be uh, very rehearsed, uh, very... Not willing to change. So, so, th- so this game, for example, there's a, f- a few things on this one. So, so when I say they're not willing to change, the one thing I wanted to get out of this game, and, and, and you mentioned it to, to Karthik, um, without having seen this broadcast, is, is the, the rules um, analyst or the referee analyst, which Telemundo has, a former referee. The one thing I wanted to get out of this game, the Russia-Saudi Arabia game, after it was over, was the fourth goal. Okay, was the fourth goal, was it offside, yes or no, and why wasn't VAR used? And post-match, as, as soon as the game ended, well, actually, commentary-wise, uh, JP De La Camera and Tony Mueller didn't address it. Um, as soon as the for, the, for the post-match analysis, that's what I wanted to hear. That's I, I wanted to find out, okay, was it offside or not? They, they didn't even mention it. They showed, okay, here's the highlights of the goals, bang, 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 bang uh Russia's on fire you mean know, this is great and um the teaser that they gave to come back for the for the the next part of the post match after commercials was come back to find out what, what what this means for Russia you mean and and we we as soccer fans know what this means for Russia i mean they got a, f- a 5 nil victory uh, a big advantage in goal difference uh it's a f- only the first game it's only 3 points Put them in the kind of the ascendancy in a good position, uh, but but you mean know, they could lose the next two games and they're out. So, so the teaser was kind of like, okay, that that doesn't do anything to me. I I mean I, I, we know without having to get that teaser and listen listen on what's going to happen. So so to me, I mean, you send Doctor Joe Magnick out to Russia, so that's a perfect opportunity to use him. Like they didn't even address it. They didn't even mention it. They didn't even talk about it. They said, okay, they just kind of glossed right over it. And that's what I'm saying is that they're not willing to change is because you have to be ready on the fly. I mean, as the game happen, is happening, and I'm sure they're discussing it um, uh, off off the set in the studio. Okay, was that offside or not? Okay, let's see what we can do to get some footage. Uh, and again, part of it is that they're at the mercy of, of FIFA, and uh, HBS, which is uh, filming these games. But there must be a way to look at that incident and use all the technology that they have. They have a lot of technology. They have a lot of um, AR uh, technology, augmented, augmented reality, to analyze that. And it didn't happen. And, and then and there was no discussion about VAR. Okay, no. So should VAR have been used in that instance? Was VAR used in that instance? What happened? Nothing. And, and, and that was the the thing I, I walked away from that match with, uh, going in with an open mind and, and walking out going, okay, it's just the first game. Maybe it's uh, baby steps. Maybe it's kind of a learning curve, but um, disappointed completely. Yeah.
1: Um, unfortunately, Chris, I mean, this is part of my criticism of Fox through the years. People think it's just a criticism of uh, the the gene. Um, or the excessive, the the, the the denial of reality about the U.S. men's national team, and and promotion of Americans. That that is a big component of it. Don't don't get me wrong. But um, another part of it is I think the clunkiness of their production, um, the, re- the, the the rehearsed nature of uh, their the commentary uh, on the set, not necessarily of the commentators at the match. I I think uh, with. John Strong and J.P. Del Camber, they have two real professionals, and Stu Holden, Tony Miola, good, good analysts, good co-commentators. But the studio, the production levels, and the transitions, that has been a problem for Fox for years. It's gotten better. I'm not saying it has but uh, to me, Chris, that's a determining factor as to why in a World Cup I don't want to watch them. I mean, I can put up with it in small doses, Champions League every two weeks, uh, or so uh, for, for two matches a week, but I, I can't put up with it for uh, uh, 31 days straight. So i conscious decision unless I get some really positive feedback about Fox. I mean, I'm open to, to, to watching them, but I've just kind of consciously, also to not aggravate myself, decided to watch the tournament as I am at this very moment as we're recording on Telemundo.
0: Yeah, so let's get more into that. So, so uh, uh, on the positives, I love the set. The set looks fantastic. The backdrop of the uh basilica and, and the Kremlin looks brilliant. Uh, the, the production actually looks good. It, the, everything looks it looks squeaky clean. It looks very sugary. It looks very you know, very appealing to the eye. So, so that that's the good part. Um and it 's a first game, so it 's one of those things it's uh, it 's not rocket science in terms of the pr- production of you I mean discussing okay all right you 've got this game and what 's the talking points and this that and the other i mean they 've done that so many times in the past you know, what, decade going through games so so that comes pretty naturally so uh, it 's not that difficult, um, but where we do need them is is, is post match, which was lacking. Uh, the other thing too is the commentary so so I have a lot of respect for j p De La Camera, uh, he's you know, a veteran commentator, somebody that loves the game. Uh, Tony Miola, I have a, a lot of respect for as a uh, former professional goalkeeper for the United States, as well as playing in Major League Soccer. Um, and as a person, he seems like a really nice person. And to Fox, I think these are the, the safe choices. However, during games like this one, the Russia against Saudi Arabia game, which is probably a worst nightmare for, for a football commentator, when it's not the most exciting game, when it's a very one-sided game, um, JP and Tony Mueller put me to sleep. I mean, almost, li- literally, put me to sleep. It was just a... Uh, now, now, JP is a great commentator, but he, only, he, he pretty much only paints what he sees happening in front of him. His style is very much like a radio commentator, which is his background. His background is radio. So if it's, a, if it's an exciting game, you get the best out of him. If it's a one-sided match, his commentating can be a bit boring at times because he's just calling what he sees. And meanwhile, Tony Miola, I would say, is mediocre at best. He's not a good analyst. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, to me, like this, this game is a perfect example of like what would have happened four years ago. And we would have had Ian Dark and probably what, um, Steve McManaman as, as commentators. And in a game that's so one-sided, that's not the most exciting game, you, you'd probably have them cracking jokes. So you'd have them just having a little bit of banter or, or having something to discuss that was interesting, that would hold you. That like,
1: like those two did during the Germany-Brazil game in 2014. Uh, quite frankly, Ian Dark did a masterful job that day. Uh, and he, he carried Mac to a certain extent. But it was, what, 5-0 uh, or 4-0 Germany within thir- 25 minutes? Yeah. Uh, 30 minutes. And, and I, I remember the, from a minute, I, I actually, in the build-up to this World Cup, Chris, I thought about in my preparation going back and listening to Dark's call of that game. And I think now I probably will, today or tomorrow, uh, from minutes 30 to minutes 45. Because I just remember... Thinking, okay, I don't need to watch the rest of this match, but he keeping me engaged and interesting to where I watch the full night.
0: Yeah, and most matches. I mean, if this match was a typical league match, this would re- remind me of probably um, Man City against Swansea, where it was like what five nil. It was five nil, and it was such so one sided. And yeah. I mean, it, it was. I, I only watched it because I was a Swansea fan. If I was a neutral fan or even a Man City fan, I'm, I probably switch, would have switched it off and, and said, okay, and it wasn't so much the commentary, it was just the game itself. Uh, the commentary, I don't remember vividly, but in this game, with a, being a World Cup, being on a huge stage, uh, if you did have an Ian Dark and a Steve uh, Amaka, a, a and it's not because they're English, it's just because they were interesting. And that's the thing. I mean, JP, I like a lot. Tony, I think, is mediocre. But in a game like this, it's... It, it, it's, it's not exciting. It, and that's the thing. And that's the reason I'm probably today going to watch Telemundo is Telemundo, even though I don't even understand the language, just the energy, just the passion uh, that's coming through through the mic, that's coming through the TV uh, uh, airwaves seems a lot more exciting. And, and, and if it's a match that's a, a 3-2 match, it's back and forth, goals going in and incredible saves... JP's great for that. It's just in a game like this, it's just it was it was mind numbing, really. Okay, let me go on to Kartik. To um, actually, just got a couple comments too for some 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 of our listeners. The first one's from Larry Kern. He posted this on World Soccer Talk. He says, "If I hear one more U.S. sports an- uh, analogy from Tony Mueller, I'm going to scream." Mediocre goalkeeper, subpar <laughs> announcer. He wasn't a mediocre goalkeeper. He was a fantastic goalkeeper. Uh, subpar announcer, perhaps. And then um, another comment there, too. This one's from uh, Will Soccer Talk reader uh, Dan Regan. He says, Oh, no, the first half Americans commentators sounded like they were commentating on a funeral. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> I'm watching it on Telemundo. Even though I don't speak a word of Spanish, they just don't get it. Uh, I wouldn't say a funeral, but it, de- it definitely was very boring. I-, I-, I was not impressed at all. Um, let me see if I have any other comments to share with you. I'll look it through my notes here. I um, yeah, I think that was about it. I mean, that was uh, the best word is to describe Fox's World Cup coverage so far in general has been boring. Uh, it's been very safe. It's been very predictable. Uh, I did not watch uh, World Cup tonight on uh, Thursday night at, from 11 till midnight Eastern time. I have that uh, taped. Uh, I looked on social media this morning. I shouldn't have done, but a lot of people uh, just really upset at that show. I haven't watched it, so I'll give it uh, I'll give it a chance and give it an open mind on that one. But um, so far, not that impressed by Fox thus far. It's been pretty predictable. The pregame show, so the, the preview show that they had on Wednesday night, they had a I think a one hour preview show. Um, Gus Hiddink, I have a lot of respect for as a as a uh, manager. I mean, he's managed some of the some of the the, the biggest teams on, on the world stage World Cup tournaments uh, he seems like a very likable person I, his analysis is not that good from what I've heard thus far it's kind of Alexi Lalas gives his analysis and Gus is pretty much uh, yeah I agree with Alexi um, so not, not very powerful there in terms of giving his own opinions
1: interestingly Chris uh, ESPN aired the ESPN FC preview show for the World Cup, the one-hour preview show, I believe three times between Tuesday and Wednesday, all uh, in prime time. So really? they they were even though ESPN FC, the Daily Show remains on ESPN Plus. They did air their World Cup preview on uh, regular television, uh, which was an hour show in addition to the Daily Shows uh, that they that they're doing each day, and uh, it was quite good. And, and then they've got Sports Center, where um, uh, yesterday it was Scott Van Pelt and Taylor Twellman. Uh, talking through the uh, uh, the first day of the uh, of the tournament, uh, the first the first match. So, uh, there, ESPN is trying to compete with World Cup tonight and with the preview shows as well, uh, not just via ESPN Plus, but uh, on on the channel also.
0: Yeah, and ESPN2 is supposed to have uh, a sports center each night uh, that's focused on the World Cup. I think it's an hour show. Uh I I tuned in Thursday night. It wasn't on, so I'm guessing maybe it's starting uh, today, Friday. So I'll check that out at 5.30 on ESPN2. Uh, Just a couple more comments. So some of the analysts that Fox has thus far. um, Alexi Lalas has been fine. No problems there. Um, Moises Munoz, uh, the former Mexican goalkeeper, seems to be good. Uh, Gus Hiddink, I mentioned, uh, is okay, but nothing special. Uh, Ian Wright, so far, has been the weak spot. Um, I I don't have a lot of confidence that he knows the world's game. I'm sure he knows England very well. But in terms of anything outside of that, he gets a bit uh, dodgy. For example, they talked, just for a a brief minute, I think... um, who is it? Rob Stone mentioned something about, uh, about the crisis on the Spanish national team and uh, Fernando Hierro uh, becoming uh, the manager. And Ian Wright said, is it Hierro or something? Like he, he, he didn't know. It sounded like he didn't know what the name was of the person. And it sounded like he didn't know the player, which that was the former player that played in the Premier League. Uh, well known throughout uh, Europe as, as a professional footballer. And Ian Wright seemed, didn't seem to know who he was, or didn't seem uh, to, to know what his name was. So that was a bit uh, bit weird in, in the previous show. Um, that I think Ian's going to be the weak spot on this analysis team. We haven't seen the rest of the guys yet, or the rest of the girls, but uh, we will in the coming days, I'm sure.
1: And, and here's where, the kind of insight you get from ESPN versus Fox. So uh, this happens. ESPN FC brings in Sid Lowe to discuss it. And Sid Lowe very much describes it as a situation where had he chosen to take the the Chelsea job instead of the Real Madrid job, yeah, the the, the Spanish FA might have had a little angst, but he wouldn't have been axed. The reason he was axed is that there has been historically, as I think people who cover international football know or have been around the game a long time, a divide between Barcelona and Real Madrid players, a divide between Catalan and Castilian or Catalan and non-Catalan players, uh, a divide that... made Spain the greatest underachievers in this sport at the international level until about a decade ago, right? Um, The fear among the Spanish FA is that that divide reopens with the manager taking the Real Madrid job uh, before a tournament where he's managing a number of Barcelona players. That's why the decision was taken. I'm assuming you never got that analysis on Fox what you did on ESPN.
0: <laughs> yeah, well the analysis you got on Fox was uh it sounded like he didn't even know how to pronounce his name and it sounded like he wasn't sh- too sure who he was. And it was uh kind of like oh uh, yeah, this it sounds like a good hire or whatever the analysis was. It was not memorable. It was not no confidence in it. Um yeah i mean that's 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 just the way it is um two two, two more things two more things on fox before we move on is one is that if you looked at the the games the the russia saudi arabia game side by side with telemundo fox had a 30 second time delay so if you're watching telemundo live you got a 30 seconds advantage over fox for that particular game in, in the beginning of that game so for whatever reason fox i mean there's usually a time delay anyway um sometimes you mean like less than 10 seconds but 30 seconds is a big difference
1: um chris this is a, a big issue i've been talking about with some people about streaming because there are a lot of cord cutters. i assume you're one of them that are watching the world cup on various streaming platforms and the concern is because it's the world cup and you get alerts on your phone uh you might be talking to a friend who's watching it on li- a live television that the 45 second to a minute lag you Traditionally, have with streaming is going to deter people from watching it, and instead want to go to sports bars or whatever to watch it. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to play out, but a couple of people have mentioned it to me
0: uh, as we yeah, get ready for the tournament. I, I I don't see it as a big deal. I mean, because most of us are used to it n- nowadays. Uh, I mean, even on television, you get a 30 second uh, difference. So you could be watching the Telemundo stream on your on your you know, computer or laptop or you know, Roku or whatever, and be ahead of Fox. On television or i mean it all depends on your internet speed and how fast you mean that that signal is going from wherever it is to to, to where you are um so in i think i think i think we're used to it i mean it's something to to be aware of so if you're going to text your friend and say ah, you mean you mean uh, russia just uh, scored an incredible goal uh, and he's a Saudi Arabian fan he might not have seen it yet um But yeah, yeah, still. But 30 seconds, that's a huge time to delay. Last but not least on Fox is the pregame show. So the opening ceremonies on Thursday, Uh, there were 13 markets nationwide that didn't even show that broadcast. So that meant that there was uh, no pre-match, there was no opening ceremony, and there was no national anthems for 13 Fox markets nationwide. And these are Fox markets that are deciding to show... Uh, local news programming I think Wendy Williams talk show and all sorts of uh, other strange programming and then as soon as the game was ready to kick off at um, 11 Eastern then they joined the broadcast so that's something to take, uh, to be aware of.
1: Okay, in defense of Fox here,
0: uh, they typically had a looser uh,
1: relationship with their affiliates, they were a network that came to fruition later the, 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 the best um, local affiliates, the best uh, the, the most watched channels and in bigger local markets, or ABC, CBS, and NBC affiliates—that's that, the bottom line. Fox is, as a company, is trying to address this. Um, in addition to kind of their their asset sale to Disney, which you know Comcast is trying to hijack in some places, they're going to reinvest some of that money in buying uh, local stations in key markets, and then controlling the programming. Essentially, so by the time 2022 Cutter rolls around. For people concerned about this, there won't be preemptions anymore in, in, in some of those markets. So in fairness to Fox, they are at a corporate level trying to address it. They know it's a problem, but uh, it's going to continue to be a problem during this tournament because uh, they don't have that control yet of, their, of the affiliates we're talking about.
0: Yeah, if it is a problem in your local market, then just go to i mean, Fox Sports Go and watch it through there or Fubo or Sling or whatever. There's other options out there. Uh, to be able to watch that one other point in, uh, uh on
1: fox uh, I, I said i had not watched the minute of the world cup on fox that is correct i have i do however have watched a little bit of the u.s open uh, on fs1 and there has been some very good cross promotion so i have to give them credit for that martin kamer uh martin timer german golfer uh literally mcelroy who we know is a, a a massive manchester united fan also northern irish we saw him at the euros in the crowd right and, one of the Northern Ireland games, and Northern Ireland, Wales. Chris and right. I watched together. Uh, Them juggling soccer ball, doing uh, some really good cross promotion. So uh, I was happy about that. I thought I, I was worried that because uh, Fox uh, has maybe a distinct set of commentators for the World Cup versus the U.S. Open, there wouldn't be any cross promotion. There has been, and it owes itself to the international nature of. Of the audience who watches golf anyway, a lot of uh, crossover soccer fans. You may not have gotten that if it had been a baseball game. Uh, but um, so I, I will give Fox credit for that. They were really pushing the World Cup during their U.S. Open broadcast.
0: All right. So, but before we move on to talk about uh, the 2026 World Cup coverage of that decision, uh, congratulations, Kartik, uh, for becoming the Miami FC commentator. I understand you called a match uh, this week, midweek.
1: Yes, along with Bruce Silverman, who I've worked with before with the uh, uh, four-level structure. So I, I, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, and uh, uh, big shoes to fill. Juan Arango did an outstanding job the last two-and-a-half seasons with Miami FC as uh, our friend Juan Arango, who's obviously uh, work, worked with us here at World Soccer Talk, working with Bruce. But uh, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm now doing uh, filling that role, that co-commentary role for the remainder of the season. So uh, thank you, and I appreciate it.
0: So uh, World Cup 2026 coming to the United States, Mexico and Canada. Um, Speaking of congratulations, I mean, I mean, this is this is obviously big news. Uh, If this had gone the other way, I I, I can't even imagine what Fox's coverage would have been like in terms of just the the doom and gloom. But thankfully, in a way, uh, it went our way. And for me personally, I mean, the 2026 is more about my kids, is is. The last World Cup, 1994 in the United States, and ever since then I've been wanting to have a, a World Cup in our country so I could take my kids to it and so they, they can experience what the World Cup is like in all the, all the different cultures from within the United States and from around the world. Um, so, that, so that, for me personally, is, is why I'm excited about it. Um, politically speaking, I mean, to me, this gives U.S. soccer now carte blanche to push through whatever they want. Uh, or need in the next eight years. I mean, this is a huge, huge uh, positive for them in terms of uh, doing whatever they want to do. And, and, and at the end of the day, I was on a, on a conference call midweek um, right after the uh, this decision was made uh, with U.S. Soccer and with uh, the Canadian Federation and, and the Mexican Federation on the line with a, other journalists and um, was trying to ask a question and did not get through to be picked to ask one of the questions. My question was going to be is, what does this mean for the lower league uh, soccer um, in the United States uh, specifically? Uh, does this mean that we're going to get a sudden kind of uh, in, influx of cash to help uh, you mean promote the lower leagues and help to stabilize those? That was a question I had. Kartik, what's your take?
1: Well, my answer would be that they've just turned down five hundred million for Rocco Comiso to stabilize and help and fund the lower leagues and invest in infrastructure, stadiums. Part of the problem with lower league soccer is that uh, the teams, almost all of them, few exceptions like San Antonio, uh, rent their stadiums. Uh, they don't; they, they're not able to monetize the revenue from parking and from concessions, etc. And they go out of business eventually. They all go out of business eventually if they don't make it to MLS. So, uh, yeah, my concern is that this is going to give them carte blanche. Just as you said, I, I had very mixed emotions. On a, on a human, personal level, I wanted the U.S. to host. And I don't know if that came across in some of my commentary because I was concerned about these other things and was pointing them out. But from a political standpoint, the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, is in violation of an umpty number of FIFA rules. Uh, they have a league structure that's dysfunctional. They have a league structure that... Um, to me, has contributed to the um, the decline, if you want to call it that, or at the very least, the stagnation of the sport at the highest level in this country. Uh, that being uh, the U.S. men's national team, uh, it, it's a uh, uh, it, it's a uh, federation that I think has, has not uh, they they made great investments in the women's game uh, more than anyone else many years ago, but now that's even stagnating. So I have a lot of concerns about them being uh, essentially patted on the back by uh, 125 FIFA members, or 135, whatever the vote was, uh, and b- being given uh, hosting rights for the World Cup without having to make any of the changes to the league structure and to the domestic game, that I had assumed FIFA uh, at the administrative level, or at the very least, some of the other member FIFA nations, would have tried to hold them accountable to make uh, before awarding them the World Cup. And I'll say similar things about Canada. There are a number of problems with the Canadian Soccer Association, although um, Canadians I speak to think this might help bring those those factions together uh, under a common purpose. You could say that about the U.S. too, but uh, historically we've seen the U.S. Federation uses uh, opportunities like this when they're emboldened to uh, crush the opposition or marginalize the opposition. Uh, it, we're going to have very potentially— potentially a franchise relocation, a club relocation, and major league soccer in the next few months. Uh, when that happens, and a federation does nothing about it, I don't think they should be rewarded with hosting the World Cup. But um, on a human level, on a personal level, I'm, I'm happy the World Cup is coming here. Uh, so, I, I mean, I guess the net balance is, personally, I'm happy, but uh, professionally, I think it's, it's uh, something that I, I if, I'm a, if I'm voting in good conscience with the responsibilities you have, as a FIFA member nation, I would not have voted for the United States. i probably, I'm not,
0: probably would have voted for Morocco also.
1: Right. I would have tried to abstain or, or the reopen world. the bidding, which uh, doesn't seem many were interested in doing.
0: Right. I mean, for me though, too, Kartik, uh, with FIFA, you mean uh, approving the U.S. and Mexico and Canada uh, for the 2026 World Cup, the likelihood now of uh, FIFA going in and and looking very closely at the the way that the the U.S. leagues are structured and you mean lack of promotion relegation and all those things that uh, you mean other leagues from around the world have are very very unlikely to happen. I mean, now it's okay. All right, let's let's just forget about that for eight years. And maybe I don't know, eight years from now, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. But it, it, it really gives the U.S. carte blanche. Uh, the other thing, too, is, is I, I expect Major League Soccer, I'm sure, 100% sure of this, is Major League Soccer through U.S. Soccer is uh, going to maximize this for the league's gain over the next eight years. Um, and that, I have no problem with that. The, the issue I have is, okay, so if MLS is going to maximize that exposure, uh, within World Cups and etc. What about what about USL? What about NASL? What about NPSL? What about all these other leagues? I mean, what opportunities do they have to promote and maximize their leagues through the U.S. Soccer Federation and through the through, through the World Cup? Um, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be very very little. I mean, it's going to be just uh, lip service. Um, so that that's the, the, and then one more issue too, and one other issue is. The ticket prices so for those <laughs> that haven't been paying attention i mean i mean <laughs> the united this States... will happen copa america also where people were excited chris yeah that
1: the u.s was hosting this copa america centenario and then when the ticket prices got published it was like whoa same thing uh, happened they, well they, they just wait there.
0: i mean copa america centenario prices are nothing compared to this so fifa won this i mean uh, basically the fifa member nations voted for this the pledge from u.s Mexico and Canada was that we're going to generate what eleven billion for FIFA and sort of fifty million dollars per per each FIFA member um, nation. But the ticket prices, the average ticket price for the twenty twenty six World Cup is going to be four hundred and thirty one dollars. So that's what they're banking on. That's what they're banking on is people like you and I, people the listeners that are mad soccer fans that love the game that want to bring their family. So you bring a family of four to a game, one game, it's going to be over sixteen hundred dollars, which is absolutely crazy. And and that's the thing, and that's one of the that's one of the main reasons. That that was the main um, kind of talking point. That was the main selling point from the United bid was money. And and ah, uh, so so it's going to be. I I don't know. It, I, this is gonna be nothing compared to Copa America Centenario in terms of once people see realize what the ticket prices are and just freak freak out. And this is gonna be I mean, with a the, the country like the size of the United States and you have kind of the one percent of the population that would be able to afford this, no problem. That's that's like uh you mean an expensive concert ticket, no problem. You mean ah we can afford it. Um that's one thing. Um but for the rest of us, oh my gosh. Uh all right, Karthik. So, um, before we move on, any anything else you've been watching, or anything else to point out? I mean, I, I don't want to go through everything, but anything else that stands yeah, out? Yeah, I watched a lot of
1: MLS this week. Um, I think there's been some good action. It, 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 the uh, the TFC Philly game I enjoyed on on, on Friday night. Uh, Vancouver Orlando. Vancouver uh, Alfonso Davies. We talk about Canada hosting hosting in 2026. Alfonso Davies. Who's an eighteen-year-old uh, academy product in Vancouver? Just a fantastic uh, Canadian international, full international already. Uh, just fantastic player. Enjoyed watching him and Vancouver. Really enjoyed that game. Uh, the thing I like about MLS Live when it, since it's been folded into ESPN Plus, I know people have complained about the spoilers because if you're on the ESPN Plus app or on the ESPN app and you go to the Plus uh, button, you can see the scores uh, of games and people have not like that. It'll say Seattle won, uh, Orlando won 60th minute. But then I will say, hey, this is an interesting game. Let me click on it. So all told, I probably have watched um, the majority, uh, portions of the majority of MLS games these uh, these last two match days uh, in the league because, but I haven't watched any games with the exception of a few in their entirety because of that this feature. So I've actually enjoyed that. Check that out on uh, on uh, ESPN Plus, it, 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 if you care to, uh, if, if you're interested. And also the France-US game, Taylor Tormann was fantastic uh, in that game uh, with Ian Dark. And uh, again, just so whatever I watch ESPN, Chris, I, 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 don't, I, I know I sound like I'm droning on, and I, I, I repeat myself all the time on this show, but it just reminds me of what we're missing uh, with them not having the World Cup rights.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a shame that ESPN couldn't just like, do kind of... Uh... 2014 World Cup, just just show some of the coverage, just uh, you mean in the midnight hours or something like that, just to have it on. As, <laughs> I, I would watch it again. It was, that, it was that good. So speaking of the World Cup, uh, the greatest soccer tournament on the planet is here, and for those of you who want to enjoy the energy and passion of the World Cup, we've got a recommendation for you. with sling blue you can get all of the World Cup games available on FS1, plus where available you can watch the World Cup games on the Fox network. But even if Sling Blue doesn't have your local Fox affiliate, you can use Sling Blue to watch the games on FS1 and then watch the Fox games on your TV set for free with a inexpensive HD antenna. In addition to getting the Fox channels for the World Cup, Sling Blue offers 45 other channels, including NBCSN, AMC, FX, TNT, Nick Jr., BBC America, and much more. And with Sling's seven-day uh, seven free trial, you can take the service for a test drive, and if you like what you see, it'll cost you only $25 per month from there to watch your favorite uh, programming. No cable or satellite subscription is required, nor do you need a long-term contract, and you can cancel it at any time. And you can watch Sling Blue on your Roku players and smart TVs, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Air TV player... Samsung and LG Smart TVs, Amazon Fire Tablets, Amazon Cube, and uh, Windows 10, uh, also on the Chrome browser on Windows or Mac computers, uh, ZTE, Apple iOS 8 and higher phones and tablets, Android phones and tablets, and Xbox One. So sign up for T- Sling TV's free 7-day uh, trial today at worldsoccertalk.com slash slingworldcup. To watch the 2018 World Cup without a cable or satellite subscription. Again, that's worldsoccertalk.com slash sling world cup. let's move on to TV streaming news.
1: Yeah, two familiar names and, and voices for American audiences, Derek Gray and Lee Dixon, have been added to the FIFA 19 video game along with uh, Martin Tyler and Alan Smith, who Uh, have have done the game in the past, will continue to do the game this year. Uh, Ray will be doing Champions League commentaries, which is something that's familiar to American audiences going further back uh, when he used to be the voice of the Champions League in this country uh, when ESPN had the rights a decade ago.
0: Now, uh, judging by the first uh, four to five days of Fox's World Cup coverage, uh, Fox Sports is going to average about six hours per day of live coverage outside of the games themselves. So Fox's coverage of the World Cup begins, um, well, actually is already be- uh, began on Wednesday uh, with a preview show. Uh, from then on, it's a daily onslaught of FIFA World Cup live uh, show hosted by Kate Abdo in the early morning hours, while World Cup Today kicks off later, hosted by Rob Stone and then the late-night show hosted by Fernando Fiore is entitled uh, Will Cup Tonight, and that'll flip back and forth between Fox and FS1, uh, often starting on one of the channels and then continuing on the other station immediately after the first hour ends. So approximately one to two hours of uh, Will Cup Tonight, uh, almost like a, a late-night TV show. I mean, that's what it effectively is, kind of your... You mean, the previous years, we'd have had, I mean, Johnny Carson and David Letterman. Now you've got uh, Fernando Fiore. So, in terms of the um, the spot they're in is a great spot. In terms of uh, TV ratings, we'll have to wait and see how well it does.
1: NBCSN is going to be showing the Brazil Switzerland game, of uh, simulcast of Telemundo's coverage on Sunday. My understanding, Chris, is that they're going to do this a few times during the tournament. So. Uh, for those of you who don't get Telemundo, who complain, hey, we'd like to watch something other than Fox, but we don't get Telemundo or we don't get uh, uh, Universo, uh, you can watch uh, the Brazil-Switzerland game, which is uh, Sunday afternoon on NBCSN, and check your programming guide or, or check out World Soccer Talk. There'll be more of these matches, I understand, during the course of uh, uh, the month in Russia.
0: Well, I, I asked uh, NBC that, and I said to them, like, hey, you mean, are, are there any other matches planned? And they said no. So... I don't know. I, you would think so, right, Kartik? Because there's, there's a lot of people that don't, they can't get Telemundo.
1: Yeah, my, my understanding was that... Um, so you've asked
0: them directly, and, and so maybe they
1: won't. But um, my understanding was, uh, at least the, the story we ran in Sport Business earlier well, in the week, is that they were going to do a few.
0: Yeah, that was wrong. So Ian Thomas, I think Sports Business Daily, had that incorrect. So uh, only this one match, the Brazil-Switzerland game, which is a great idea. Uh but, and I would expect them to do more, but right now it's the only one. But it, I mean, again, a lot of people don't uh, have Telemundo, can't get Telemundo. Um, I think they could get some big numbers on this one, uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of big numbers, uh, TV ratings uh, for this um, for last week, and actually I've got some numbers from this week too. Again, Mexico is like a is like a juggernaut. Uh, 1.7 million people tuned in to watch Mexico against Scotland. Uh, on on the Univision channels. Of course, I'm sure most of those people were tuning in to watch Scotland. (laughs) Um, But 1.2 million people tuned in for Mexico against Denmark, which was their final uh, friendly before the World Cup, again on Univision channels. Uh, The France-USA game that you watched on ESPN, uh, Kartik, 697,000 viewers. Great numbers there. And... um, which is interesting, too, just because, I mean, obviously the France side of things would bring in a lot of viewers uh, and make it more of a meaningful game rather than, say, the Bolivia match. Uh, on the Univision channels, that fr- fr- France-USA game had 395,000 viewers. Uh, so collectively, uh, over a million viewers for that France-USA game in total. USA against Ireland, uh, friendly, that had 303,000 viewers on Univision. And uh, last but not least, 292,000 viewers for Columbus against um, New York Red Bulls on Saturday. And that was a doubleheader. So again, you've got a doubleheader. You've got France against USA at 3 p.m. Eastern. And as soon as the game ends, as soon as the coverage ends, it moves right into Columbus uh, Red Bulls New York. Encartic heart off the presses, we've got a number in two. This is for the, uh, the Fox's uh, World Cup preview show that they showed in primetime on FS1 on Wednesday night uh, from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, which we mentioned in the What We've Been Watching segment. Uh, any guesses on, on the number of viewers for this one? <laughs> for a preview show? Oh, uh, jeez. Uh, 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 I, I don't know. <laughs> 101,000 viewers. Which you would think. Oh well, okay. So I was gonna. I was thinking. Do I say a
1: million? Do I say seven (laughs) fifty? Do I say five? Okay.
0: But you would think going. I mean, obviously the US is not in the World Cup. But you would think, okay, this is the big show before the World Cup. This is a preview show. This is okay. That's. You mean again? And we've seen this before too. Even for the the World Cup draw, the analysis post match. You mean uh, from ESPN? ESPN two, I think it was, was was greater than than the coverage on on the big Fox in terms of the, num- the number of people. T- people don't tune in to Fox for the analysis. I mean, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir to a lot of listeners and, and yourself included. <laughs> but it, again, it goes to say, I mean, it goes to show. One hundred one thousand viewers tuned in to watch that preview show. That's, I mean, that, that, that's nothing. Well,
1: okay, so if you. Go back to December, and, and obviously I wrote a story about this for World Soccer Talk, and uh, we discussed it a lot on this show. There was the ESPN FC preview show, um, which garnered a higher rating. Or Sorry, not preview show. Uh, reaction to the draw show, right. which garnered a higher rating than the Fox. Um, the draw itself. The draw itself. So that might be happening throughout the tournament, where you've got World Cup tonight going up against the special sports centers on ESPN, the ESPN FC shows, which are on ESPN plus, but we saw with the preview, they put it on ESPN too. So maybe they're going to do that occasionally during the tournament. And also uh, just a general bumper coverage. ESPN seems to be, seems to be giving this tournament. Um, I'm anxious to see day one ratings uh, uh, from Fox in terms of, in terms of the game and and the World Cup tonight. Uh, But I, I have, I have a feeling when we're, Convene next, Chris, we're going to have a lot to discuss as far as Fox ratings, uh, Telemundo ratings versus also the Univision ratings. Univision, as you watched yesterday, doing a lot of bumper coverage as a former rights holder. And uh, it could be that the the rights to show the matches, uh, the value of that, because remember how much they paid for this, uh, Mm -hmm. is is massive. But then um, the ancillary programming that, that would go along with live coverage is less valuable than it used to be because there is a residual um, desire among fans to, to, to engage the previous rights holders because there's a comfort level there, uh, and, and this goes on the Spanish side too. With uh, I, I'm crazy, I'm very full of praise of TeleMundo's coverage. I'm watching it right now as, as we speak, actually, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, I think Univision is going to continue to draw pretty decent numbers for their, uh, particularly around Mexico games, their ancillary coverage.
0: Yeah, it's an issue for Fox. I mean, we mentioned the new segments. So there's about an average of six hours of coverage that are not really not related to the games themselves. So six hours a day, where they're trying to maximize the amount of viewership so that they can get the most advertising dollars possible. And the problem that they have is most people don't watch Fox for the analysis; they just tune in for the game for the games. And with the games not uh, having, you mean commercials during the games. All you have, if somebody tunes in at minute one and tunes out at minute ninety, is the halftime. And you've got like what the ten, ten minutes of commercials or ten or fifteen minutes uh, in there. That's that's the hot 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 take time. Uh, but for Univision, which is smart, I mean, in terms of you mean offering a commercial-free halftime show, which revenue-wise doesn't help them. It'll help them with the numbers. But for Fox, I mean, that's got to be a big issue. I mean, so that's something they need to improve upon. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe things will get better in terms of the analysis. Um, we'll have to wait and see. All right, listener mailbag. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, comments came in. First one is uh, from Dan Meyercourt through email. He says Hi, Chris and Kartik. In the most recent episode, Kartik said he believes the soccer media in the US played a role in the failure to qualify for the World Cup by creating a bubble of delusion. While that's probably true among fans, do you honestly believe that the coaching staff and players were affected by the media's narratives? Players often say that they pay little attention, little to no attention, to what the media says, and rather just focus on their job. I absolutely agree that the media and fans of soccer in the U.S. need to be more honest with themselves, but I find it hard to believe that stories in the media can have a direct impact on the team's performance. Thanks, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a a, uh, great little note, Dan. I, I, I agree somewhat. I think that's probably true with most of the players. Where I think it does have an impact is that there was a bubble, a kind of the U.S. soccer intelligentsia, which includes the coaches, which would include Bruce Arena in this specific case, uh, and, and, and perhaps uh, Klinsman before that, where um, there – and we talked about this during the Gold Cup, and I, and I give so much credit to Sebastian Salazar for raising the issue during the Gold Cup as well, because I was sitting in Bruce Arena's – a couple of Bruce Arena press conferences during the Gold Cup and it was just – I couldn't believe the level of questioning. I couldn't believe the the, the kind of answers, and it was passed off as uh, okay and acceptable by, by the media sitting in the room. I think they had created this vacuum and this separate context and really a degree of alternate reality about the quality of the United States team to the point where the day of the Trinidad and Tobago game and the day before, I'm fighting or arguing with some media who covered the U.S. team as to whether the U.S. would qualify from UEFA and which groups they qualified from. When I had said they didn't qualify from any of the groups in UEFA, and in South America would be uh, would finish uh, uh, maybe ahead of Bolivia, and that's it, maybe. Um, they, they were telling me, oh, no, for this scenario, we'd qualify. If we were in South America, maybe we'd make the playoff. We'd be fighting for that last spot. There is this level of delusion, and I think it did spread to the coaches and to the administrators in U.S. soccer. Now, does it spread to the players or all the players? Probably not, but I think – I, I mean, it just creates I, a kind of a context where then the players are hearing from the coaches this sort of thing, and they're more comfortable than they should be.
0: I, I think it does affect affect the players, and I'll tell you why. A lot of it is from the U.S. soccer media asking softball questions. And I wrote a really good article a couple of years ago, I think during the um, – was it the Confederations – What did they call that thing? the The Mexico USA game. Oh, uh, the Concacaf Cup. Concacaf Cup, and obviously the US lost that game. Mexico went on to the Confederations Cup, and in that defeat, the questions that came out of that uh, press conference, and I wrote them down one by one, and the questions were softball. It it wasn't as as if like, okay, Jurgen Klinsmann, you mean tactically, what did you do wrong in this game? Where you mean you, you, you made this decision? What were you thinking? Type of thing. The questions were, so out of this defeat, what are the, the positives that you can take out of it? I'm like, the, the the questions were just horrible. They were really softball questions. And I'm thinking, as a coach, there's no accountability from the media. The media should be asking the tough questions, uh, putting the, the manager on the spot, the coach on the spot, so that he knows that, I mean, the, the gravity of the situation in terms of whether it's a World Cup qualifying match, whether it's the CONCACAF Cup, whether it's the Gold Cup, whatever it may be, that trickles down to the players. So the, the players are not in that room, but the players will, will have questions um, from the media, probably similar softball questions. Uh, they're, even though they say they don't pay attention to the media, we know that they do. So they're listening to, you mean know, different shows or reading things and seeing all these positive things, not getting as much critical analysis, and not that it's negative, but just critical analysis where they understand the situation that they're in. I think it has a big, uh, big uh, kind of uh, impact on the players, more so the coaches for sure, um, and that's why I think going back to what you you had said, Kartik, where. The, the U.S. media, in a way, played a role in the failure to qualify for the World Cup is because they did create this bubble of, of delusion where they thought that, you mean, the U.S. was pretty much guaranteed to advance. They had this great team. And, you mean, the reality is completely different. So now the narrative
1: from many of those same people is how strong CONCACAF is. Uh, a week from now, we could be having a discussion about how weak CONCACAF is and how weak, uh, again, Australia, a team that eliminated the fourth-place CONCACAF team in, in the Intercontinental Playoff is so uh they're still trying various degrees of spin you would think when they i should have mentioned this earlier in the show when we talked about the 2026 thing uh 2026 bid you would think by some of the reaction the u.s had actually won the world cup itself it got to the quarterfinals or or, or, uh a player with an a team with an american player had won the UEFA champions league something huge had happened uh in terms of on the field uh considerations on the pitch considerations I, i think uh the game in the United States, uh, so much of the narrative is dictated by economics and by the preferences, personal preferences of, of the elites that govern the game, which, as I mentioned earlier, are not in line with the way the game is governed and played in the rest of the world, not in line with FIFA statutes. Uh, and, and this just, it's all part of the same vicious cycle that uh, we seem unwilling to pull out of, even when we have failure thrown in our face. The biggest failure we've had in 30 years thrown in our face Nothing is changing. It's it's frustrating. I
0: can go on and on. Yeah, and and speaking just one more thing. Speaking of delusion, I mean, just just read or listen to any interviews that uh, Bruce Arena has done since since November, since he you mean uh, led the team to to miss out on U.S. qualification uh, to the World Cup. It's just if you listen to what he says, he's completely delusional in terms of what his beliefs are and how you mean it's it's. He's not blaming himself at all. It's it's blaming kind of everything else, including um, John Brooks, which I, I, I admit played a big role in uh, in things. But, yeah, but 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 you went back to you mean kind of the tried and true, very safe choices in terms of player selection. Yeah, um, and I mean, and you've seen, I mean, from the U.S., even in a game against France. Yes, they got a long way to go, but there are some youth products coming through the system that have you mean, more energy, that have, it, mean. I'm
1: not sure how Miaska wasn't playing in the Trinidad and Tobago game. Okay. So he's 21 now, right? He's not 18. And Arena mentioned in his Fox interview a month after the, the, the loss, uh, basically, and, and Wallace and, and Stone didn't really challenge him on it. Although I think they were, uh, I could see Wallace's face. I think he was a little perplexed, but just backed off, uh, said, Oh, well, I was planning on taking Miaska to the world cup anyway. um, okay, if you were planning on taking him to the World Cup because he was playing well at Vitesse, obviously he's on loan from Chelsea there, as many players at Vitesse are, why wasn't he even called in as a reserve for the final qualifiers? I mean, it justifies logic. So um, he's trying to spin and say, oh, yeah, that young one that Sarakin is picking, is obviously, his longtime assistant, longtime associate, uh, I I was going to take him to the World Cup. I was going to take Weston McKinney to the World Cup. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's just
0: bizarre. Yeah, so that, that's why I mentioned that, just in terms of some of the delusional thinking and uh, the lack of critical analysis, the lack of critical thinking from a questioning from the U.S. soccer media. Um, not not all of them, but but a large uh, contingent of that. So, if you have any questions, feedback, uh, want some advice, uh, let us know. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as on facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can post comments on the mothership worldsoccertalk.com so Kartik, uh, for those listeners who want to stay updated on some of your tweets and some of your uh, rants and raves uh, during the World Cup uh, where can they find you on twitter? Uh, you can find me at KKFLA 737. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get an epi- a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. We're planning on probably doing it uh, every Thursday or every Friday, depending on uh, how the World Cup goes. I'm sure next week's episode is going to be action-packed. Uh, every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, with the World Cup, what should they do? Enjoy your football.